Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, friends. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Tony Gilkison. If you want to know what a life well-lived in the music business sounds like, give a listen to Tony Gilkison. Graced with both innate talent and a supportive musical family, Gilkison has served the muse well, from his own compositions to backing up Bob Dylan, Chris Christofferson, Katie Lang, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, Dave Alvin, and countless others. Gilkison is perhaps best known for a facile, country tin style on the guitar, but he also spent a decade playing punk music in the band X, exemplifying the fact that the best musicians spend less time differentiating between musical styles and instead let their playing do the talk. Fans of The Big Lebowski, the Johnny Cash biopic Walk the Line, and All the King's Men have heard Gilkison's guitar contributions as accompaniment on the big screen, and artists like Eleni Mandel and Chuck E. Weiss have tapped him as a producer. In conversation, Gilkison is soft-spoken, and he measures his words like a taciturn southern father whose wisdom is parsed out in economical gems, much like his guitar playing. And when singing, his voice is an unorthodox tenor with equal parts Neil Young and wayward space cowboy. The man has been known to hang with Tom Waits, and any band would do well to study a bit of Gilkison to learn how it's done. Or better yet, hire him and get the real thing. Welcome to Independence Day, Tony Gilkison. Hey, Tony. How you doing, man? All right, Joe. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's a busy time of the year as we're getting close to the holidays. Uh, And even if it isn't towards the holidays, musicians are always busy. Busiest people I know. You know, musicians get a bad rap, I think. They, you know, people go into it thinking that they're going to be lazy about stuff, but they work 10 times harder than anybody else. Well, most of this uh, feels like a uh, election aftermath. More yeah, than yeah. I'm going to break the fourth wall in radio terms here, or the time, like the the time space continuum. We're actually taping the show the day after election day, so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, you and I, we talked on the phone a little earlier today. Like, wondering if we should even do it today. I, I felt pretty, uh, I felt pretty gobsmacked. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're a very well-known musician around LA and oh, elsewhere. Um, news to me, but I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> self-deprecation will get you everywhere. Uh, but you're a very accomplished musician as well. And I happen to know that you come from a musical family. Uh, set the scene for me in the Gilkison household when you were a kid. Like, were you, were you guys singing around the, like the dining room table on Sunday afternoons or what, what did it look like? Well, that's, that's a good question. I was much too shy to sing in the early, early days, but yeah, my, both my sisters were uh, great singers, but, and, and our, our father was, uh, he was pretty adamant about attempting to make us all sing to varying degrees of success. Yeah. Now, were you a family in which, you know, some kids are kind of forced to play an instrument. Like, all you are going to play piano. No. All y'all are going to play piano. So you just kind of picked well, it up. Well, actually, no. Uh, I, I, for myself, I wasn't forced to do anything. I sort of gravitated uh, originally with uh, drums, and, and then I kind of switched over to guitar when I was 16 or 17. I think that's the Eddie Van Halen tack. Didn't mm-hmm. he start off? I think Alex and he had switched at one point. And or we knew that's what they started on. And Eddie was on drums, and Alex was on guitar. Oh, I didn't know that. And Eddie, as the story goes, I think Alex kept getting mad because Eddie was always playing his guitar. So one day he just picked up the drums, and here we are, <laughs> a few million albums later. Um, so now, it, when 
were you performing uh, performing together? Were you singing around the house together, like you and your siblings and your parents? You know? uh, no, I, I was playing, but I was not singing. I didn't really. Uh, uh, that was purely uh, the focus of my sisters. They were both okay. folk singers. I was uh, kind of dabbling in different instruments, you know, banjo, guitar, and drums. Did you study that in, in high school? Like, was there no, a music program in your high school? I was just, you know, uh, uh, like my father, I had sort of learned how to do it by myself, which was, uh, I thought was really the intelligent thing to do, but it really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, in the, I learned a lot of really bad habits along the way, yeah. but it's just the way it was. I didn't have any um, musical training. Did your father? He was a musician. Both both your parents musicians? No, my mother wasn't, but my father was a was a songwriter, yeah, and a singer. Okay, and was he was it something he did part time or was he like a full- no? He was full time songwriter. Okay, so yeah. definitely. Does it go back farther than that? Were like the grandparents way into music? As yeah, well? uh, yeah. My uh, maternal grandmother, my my father's mother, was. Uh, played piano and composed stuff and played mandolin and then I guess on my mother's side my there was a great aunt who was a professional singer now everybody's family is different with this kinds of thing or every person is different with this I, I always find it interesting when people are from a musical family do you can you recall what your earliest musical memory was a earliest musical memory yeah was it a song or an instrument or a situation uh well, I have many musical memories of my father and uh, playing guitar uh, in, in the living room with a, a fire going, and that was that kind of settled me into the uh, folk environment because he yeah. was primarily a folk. Well, in, at least in the beginning, he was a folk singer. Coming out, he came to L.A. in the late '40s, and then in the early '50s, he he was doing uh, kind of a pop version of folk music but uh, being struck by certain t- uh, uh, types of music that, that sort of came later with with um, rhythm and blues listening to uh, uh, Bill Doggett or um, James Brown that In- was really kind of like eye opening for me and that was a huge distinction between the um, kind of secure complacency of folk music and the wildness and yeah power of, of um, R&B and rock and roll. Yeah, it seems like it, there are different conventions in every style of music, but in some styles, they can almost be rules, you know, or, or kind of restrictive in a way. Like they give you right. a, a guideline, a place to start, but, you know, the whole concept of Dylan going electric and the whole... Uh, you know, folk music. I have friends who are professional folk musicians. Like I always call it capital F folk or Peter, Paul, and Mary folk, yeah. you know, not kind of pop indie folk like the way it is hybridized now. And uh, there are restrictions, I think. You know, is, is that good or bad? Does it give you something to work off of? I don't of, think or? it's either good or bad, but it's uh, the, the thing that drew young people to ro- rock and roll in, in, in the 50s and 60s was the... Uh, probably the lack of rules, yeah. the, the walking the tightrope, or, or at least kind of breaking new ground, was exciting. Of course, now it's a it's kind of old hat. It's it really hasn't found a way to redefine itself. I don't I don't think it will. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear something uh, that you recorded on one of your records first. When we come back, I want to talk a little about kind of your formative years, like if, when you <laughs> stopped playing just in, you know around the house and when you started kind of stepping out and playing in bands. I want to get it set the scene, what that's like, like your high school, like what a what a high school situation was like for you. But first, let's hear this. This week's guest is Tony Gilkison. Man, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Right, thank you. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here. You can check him out at TonyGilkison.com, and that's G-I-L-K-Y-S-O. So when, for those of you who are not in the know, uh, he's got a couple of musical sisters as well. And this is the song, uh, where would we pick here? I think this is Tear It Down, correct? Oh, yes, Tear It Down. The CD track? Yeah, this is yes, correct. Tear It Down, yes, okay. it is. So this is the song Tear It Down, Tony Gilkison from his Sparko record on Independence Day. Yeah, 
says we're supposed to head east and we're heading west. What do you mean I got it upside down? No. No, I didn't have a beer in that last town. Well, if you weren't so busy talking to the gas station attendant, then we wouldn't have messed up. Oh, it says here that we're heading towards... Wait a minute. Is that a cop behind us? Oh. What are you going to tell him? Oh, I got a warrant. Oh, that's fine for you to say. Alright, wind it up. Let's see if we can get away from it. My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you Wednesday nights on the interwebs. You can stream us anytime at all at indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. We're also on iTunes if you're into the Apple Junta. You can find us at indepday.com slash iTunes there as well. Follow us on Twitter at Indepday. We're all over the place. This week's guest, like I said, Tony Gilkison. Welcome, Tony. Thank, Thank you, Thank you. Nice to be here. So great to see you. We're talking before about the Gilkison family singers, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, you know, you playing with them. Were you, now, were you accompanying your sisters when they yes. would go do folk gigs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, accompaniment was, uh, that was kind of permissible in my my world at the time uh singing wasn't but accompaniment was was fun now were you <laughs> it's just kind of a funny thing but were you some people are actually discouraged from singing were you at ever any point you know tony don't sing uh no i, I don't think so but i yeah. i don't think i was particularly encouraged either <laughs> yeah well i guess that's uh, what i'm getting at Everybody's yeah. different. You know, I, I got it from church choir. You know, we were Catholics growing up where I was, and my mom would drag me to church. And I learned polyphony and harmony and mm-hmm. how things are structured by just listening, you know, to the, the music. They had a good choir, and it was interesting to hear those things. Yeah, um, I can imagine. And then, when, so now, when you, at what point, like, did you start playing out of the house? Like, was was with your sisters first? No, uh, uh, probably playing drums and uh, instrumental surf bands and and uh, kind of British bands, uh, you know, copy bands, things yeah, like that. Yeah, like when British I was, Invasion stuff. Yeah, 12, and, 13, 14 years old. And so, <laughs> did, now were you like my band? Did you have to like rope somebody into playing bass? Like find an extra guitar player and make I'm them play bass? I'm not really sure that I we even had a bass player. Yeah. So... <laughs> I can't remember, but it's it's possible that we didn't. Yeah, we might have just had a rhythm player and a lead player and drums. I think like it's kind of a pecking order thing. It was almost as if everybody played guitar. <laughs> so like the guy or girl, as I was a guy back then, um, <laughs> who in the band who was the least good guitar player wound up getting demoted to bass. Yeah, and later on they were the ones who uh, drove the van yeah. <laughs> or used their van. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, use their van. And I, I mean, we went so far as to, we taught a singer how to play bass at one point because we couldn't find uh, a guitar player to play bass. So I convinced a singer to play bass. And, you know, we kind of, his, I think maybe his family had the most money of anybody. So we convinced his parents to buy us a bass and a bass amp. <laughs> and off we were, off we were running. Uh, so now from surf bands, like how did you get from folk stuff to surf bands? Is that just because that was the style of the time? Yes. It was the style of the time. Yeah. And 
So, so you're playing like the ventures and and that kind of thing. I, you know, I guess so. I, I remember playing Wipeout and playing uh, Pipeline and you know different various other kind of local surf bands, but I can't remember them all. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, well, it feels like a long time ago for me anymore as well. And so. Did you so for going to play gigs? Like, were you mostly just kind of jamming in somebody's garage, and then you got a gig at a dance, or like, how ambitious were you guys at that point? I, I don't know that I was particularly ambitious, but I was driven. If you can make a distinction between the two, I, I, I mean, I knew that I was going to get in the music field, music business, at a very early age, and there was there was no way that uh, that I was going to be deterred from that, and. I think that once my parents saw that, they didn't encourage it and they didn't discourage it either. I, I'm sure they had trepidation about it, just like I would have if uh, my daughter said that she would like to get into the music business, because I don't think it's any easier now than it was then, and it wasn't easy then. Yeah. I think it's just more complex now, it seems like to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. There are so many different avenues and ways to share music, consume music, and easy to make music. It's almost like we have too many choices now. Well, yes, and none of them are particularly uh, cloaked in dollars, at least not to my, not in my experience. That all still seems to be getting figured out. Yeah, elusive, I think, is the word for me, at least. Um, so, now, do you remember your first gig with this band? Like, was it a sock hop situation or somebody's backyard party? No, it wasn't sock hop. That's a little before my time. No, it was uh, playing at uh, different parties, things like that. Uh, uh, I'm guessing that probably when I when I really started to really get into it, the the British invasion was really kind of had really taken off. And there were so many bands that really I, I can't remember a whole lot of the details. Yeah. Now, these you know you're playing parties. Was it was it kind of a to get girls kind of situation? Was well, it always it's always about getting girls. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, most musicians that I knew at a very early age were were so well. They were just so horribly shy, and uh, they're. Was certain there was a lot of uh, mileage in being a musician, so yeah, I think that's what made me kind of do the transition from from drums to guitar. Was just that uh, being tired of loading drums out was one reason, but then also just kind of being up front and and having an easier time meeting girls was probably yeah. one of the top two motivations by doing it. <laughs> And it's less. It's definitely less gear. I want to talk a little bit more about that transition from drums to guitar. You know, what was it a siren song kind of thing, or was it just a logistical consideration? But first, I want you to play a live song. Like I'm looking forward to hearing this. Yeah, you've got another musician along with you. Russell Wallace is going to play some beautiful upright bass, a cool instrument. You guys should check out the video at indepthday.com. You'll see the video of him playing one of these songs. Um, but what's this first one? What is this first song? This is a song that I co-wrote with Exine Cervanka and. Uh, I stopped singing it for a while, and uh, then in lieu of the recent election, I thought it would be timely to bring it out again. It's called He Wanted. Okay, well, in some ways, I wish I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> but here we go. But in a lot of other ways, I'm very anxious to hear it either way. So this is Tony Gilkis, and the song is He Wanted on Independence Day.
They wanted the sky to be red gloss enamel The color of the crusades The color of so many washed up saints A tube of blood as thick as paint He wants to see the slouch of slavery In every step they take Executives sliding down Madison Avenue with bloody suits and wounded knees Jumping in the Hudson River too As red as the sea He believes in plagues and he believes in a God who's all thumbs He believes the meek shall inherit the earth By then it won't be worth much to see the land black like a scab its occupants is dead as an unknown soldier carrying Jesus an 11 foot sack over his shoulder as he believes in place he believes in the god who's all thumbs he believes the meek shall inherit the earth by then it won't be worth much by then it won't be worth Very nice, Tony. Lovely, lovely music. I love hearing people play live in my dining room, which is the kind of the set here for the World HQ of Independence Day. Thanks for sharing the music, man. Thank you. You have nice ambience in here. Thank you. I think so, too. I work hard to foster, I mean, or maybe it just happens. I don't know. I'd like to think it just happens. A comfortable environment. Oh, you can't beat an old wood floor. Yeah, we've got a you know we've got an old '70s bar in here. I've got an old console stereo. I've got a, an accordion sitting over there that's. Uh, Older than, maybe older than both of us, for all I know. Hmm. And then a uh, Tom Petty looks down. Tom Petty, and I think that's John Coltrane, looked down over the whole thing to make sure we're doing everything the right way. And I think hmm. two good guys to, to look up to there. So now, was someone, like, who, how, why, why guitar from the drums? Was it just an obvious choice? Was someone, were you already kind of tinkering with it at home? Yeah, an obvious choice. Uh, there were so many guitars laying around the house. that uh, In those days... Uh, my father was working with uh, 
Carson Parks and Van Dyke Parks, and they were, uh, and Carson and Van Dyke were in the real infancy of their careers. Uh, uh, and so what they were doing to make money was give guitar lessons. So we would do these periodic trips down to Tijuana. And in those days, you could actually really buy a lot of really wonderful uh, gut string guitars in Tijuana for, you know, 20, 25 bucks. And they would go down there and they would buy these guitars and then they would bring them up and then they would uh, take students and they would uh, include the lesson with the purchase of a guitar. Uh-huh. So there were lots of them laying around. Some of the, the primary guitar for me was, in the beginning, was a gut string guitar, which kind of got me into the style of playing with fingernails as opposed to yeah. uh, flat picks. Let's talk a little bit about that because you do, to watch you play, you've got a very, very unique style. Um, you know, other finger, you know, guys that I know who use their fingers a lot, Mark Knopfler has kind of an unorthodox, kind of a weird, his right hand almost looks contorted mm-hmm. the way he picks at the guitar. So was that, that was based on the gut string. Yeah, that's right. The gut string, um, I think that if that's your foundation, then you start kind of, you know, getting into certain habits that probably are not tremendously encouraged with steel strings and so for the first two or three years that was it for me and the the nails using your nails for picks uh that uh was something that to this day stayed with me although now i I kind of alternate between a flat pick and and using my nails and if i bust a nail i'm in big trouble yeah that was always a thing for me in college i took classical guitar lessons in college and i always had to grow out my nails but it seems like it was a very unorthodox thing. This, oh, this doesn't sound sexist, but I was—I always felt weird about being concerned about breaking a nail. That seemed like something that my female friends were very concerned about. But for me, it was a practical consideration. And it seems like I couldn't help. I was constantly breaking them on stuff. Maybe it's just because I'm not used to thinking about it. Well, you got to go down to the parlor and have it an acrylic put on. And, yeah. Well, know. that's what I would do. I would roll over to Walgreens and buy the little set and some basically super glue. And then glue these things. Have you ever? Is that something you you still do? Do you ever have yes. to do that? Yeah, I'm not giving you the finger, but this no. is a. <laughs> well, you are. This is an acrylic nail. <laughs> but it's for it's 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 not it's not for a bad reason. It's for a good reason. Um, so now, when you switched over to, I mean, at one point you must have switched over to steel string because gut string. Even I mean, gut string is probably more common then. They're very rare now. I almost never see a gut string guitar. Yeah, and they certainly have their place, but uh, yeah, I uh, switched over to steel string. I don't know, probably when I got into my mid and early teens. And now, was that again? Was that a practical consideration, or or was there another reason? Uh, well, the whole folky thing really uh, never really completely went away with me, and I had by the time I was fifteen or sixteen or seventeen, they were musicians that uh, I was playing with that I thought were really, really talented and admirable. So they all had uh, steel string guitars. And I think when I was 16, uh, I went and got a uh, Guild F30, beautiful little acoustic guitar. That was my first one. And then my dad had, my dad had a beautiful old uh, Martin D21 and a lovely old Gibson acoustic. So, yeah. The crossover really was no big deal. Yeah. Did you have to change your style to adapt to the steel strings? I know I it's much, I don't very think hard so. on my nails when I try to, when I play steel string as opposed to classical style. No, no. I just have to kind of 
uh, make certain allowances with and and kind of alternate. I'll bring a flat pick out and I'll tuck it yeah. in my fingers and use my fingernails. And then for certain other things, I'll use a, a pick. Uh, <laughs> it's it's sort of that's why I'd say if I had probably had proper lessons that would have been easier but that's just the way it, it turned out for me it's funny the um, this is very inside baseball when it comes to a guitar but my first teacher taught me to use an anchor point in which I place uh, a finger on the essentially the the um, what do I call it? pick guard and oh, yeah. so it's always kind of stuck on there so I always have kind of a point of sure, reference yeah that's a very that's a very classic uh, method of, of finger picking. If, if you watch me, I don't do that at all. I don't. It, it's totally self-taught. It's probably yeah. not the proper way to finger pick. In fact, finger picking. You know, playing. I play guitar for, gosh, close to fifty years now, and yeah, fifty years. So. I, I think finger picking is probably. I, I didn't really develop that and learn it. In, in, the last 10 years really mm-hmm. interesting now did you ever get into like the flat picking style like the, i know the bluegrass guys do that where it's all from the elbow no they never touch their hand to the top of the guitar. i never did no and probably a little late for me to do it now but yeah i think that the finger picking from a uh, uh solo performance standpoint it uh has more potential to draw people into the song than you know thrashing around on 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 the guitar with with a pick, or it just has a way of, of uh, drawing people in. Yeah. Well, it gives you more dynamics, I know, with the pick. Plus, you can do pick slides, right? I'm sorry? <laughs> you can do pick slides. That's when you the Eddie Van Halen thing where you slide oh. the pick. I'm, I'm joking. It's a joke, son. <laughs> I don't know what a pick slide is, but now I, now I do. Tony Gilkison, come on. I'm just kidding. All right, so this, my guest this week, like I was saying, Tony Gilkison, we're having a conversation. This is kind of, we've we've weaved off into uh, Inside Baseball with Guitar Gear. So let's pull it back just a little bit. First, I want to hear another song. We come back, I want to talk a little bit how you got from just kind of tinkering around to like being a professional musician. But first, what's this next song? I think we, uh, this is the Coyote song, right? What this is, is Coyote on the Town. This is how a- old is this song? Uh, old. <laughs> uh, I wrote this probably in 83. Four eighty-five when yeah. I had moved to Los Angeles and kept seeing coyotes coming back from shows in Hollywood and yeah. being so struck by it. I've They're, seen that too. We uh, recorded some acoustic guitars in a yoga studio once. We wanted a quiet environment that was kind of big. So a friend had a yoga studio, so we went in in Atwater Village after hours, loaded all our recording gear in, uh, recorded stuff, and then we came out, and here comes a coyote just trotting down the street. People in other cities don't really think about that. In L.A., it's fairly commonplace. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful survivors. They really are, as are you, Tony Gilkison, if I may <laughs> say so myself. All right, so this is Tony Gilkison with the song to- uh, Coyote on the Town on Independence Day. Feel the heat under my feet on an empty sidewalk on an empty street it's always the same streets could use a little rain you're lucky if you see me you won't see me again 
Well, I love your cats and I love your kids too. But there's no saying what it is I do. There's an old blood stain. Streets could use little rain. But you're lucky if you see me, you won't see me again. I won't be howling at the moon. I'll be knocking down your can. And running through your alley, slipping through your hands, you might think I'm a shadow. I think I'm a man, maybe I am. But you're lucky if you see me, you won't see me again. Well, I'm always laughing because I love your street. Catch me, I'm out of reach But I call your name Streets could use little rain But you're lucky if you see me You won't see me again Coyote on the town I'm a coyote on If you see me, baby, I'm always around. My name is Joe Armstrong. Come to you Wednesday nights at indepthday.com, streaming live. Maybe someday we'll be back on the airwaves again. We were once upon a time. Maybe someday we will be. Radio is an interesting thing. It's kind of archaic in a way i think but i like it i like the romance of radio i spend a lot of time making radio you listen to you listen these days i i love radio i love the history of radio uh, uh, i love listening to classic radio on, on sirius uh, um it's a forgotten art form classical music no, no, no. Uh, uh, radio shows, you oh, okay. know, like, like uh, I don't know, like uh, Great Gildersleeve, uh, okay. George Burns and Gracie Allen, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Jack yeah. Benny, Golden Age, uh, yeah. What's uh, Dragnet? Uh, all of the Golden Age, definitely. Yeah, from the '30s up to the '60s. I love that stuff. It is a romance to it, I think. To there radio, there is. It was a, a particular dynamic. It was uh, unique unto itself. And um, if you're if you're interested in older uh, actors from the '40s and '50s, a lot of them really. I mean, that was their meat and potatoes was doing radio yeah. shows, and they were so good at it. What I love so much about it is that. Because there's not a screen, it seems like everything has a screen on it now. We Our phones have screens that are in our pockets 24-7. You go to the gas station to gas up your car, there's a screen on the pump now. Uh, you're hmm. in the bar, there's a dozen screens there. We're always competing with those as musicians. Um, but radio allows your imagination Absolutely. to yeah. fill in those gaps. I don't know. That's, a, that's a, a vital component, a missing component. Um, it's, it's one of the things that is... 
stimulates the imagination in a really fruitful way that is sadly a thing of the past. Well, you know, we're at least guys like you and I are anachronistic enough to kind of want to hold on to those things. At least I can speak for myself and say definitely so. Sure. Yeah. Now, um, when you listen to music these days, like how is your does, t- does technology change the way you listen to music? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Uh, the cohesiveness of it is uh, is lacking in many ways, just because it's it's all revolving around machines. There's not a there's not a a, a, a bonding uh, unit or so a, some a, a method of bonding instruments and together in a way that you had in the fifties and sixties. So yes, listening uh, to contemporary music is is challenging for me, and um, I haven't completely worked that one out yet. What uh, is there a newer artist? You know, and newer is very relative term. No. So newer can go back. Is there anybody you listen to? No. What's the What do you think is the newest music you listen to? Seventies, maybe. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I'll listen to contemporary music. I, it's just uh, I'm. I mean, I, I have a daughter who listens to contemporary music, and um, I kind of filter it and kind of bite my tongue because I, I know she doesn't like it when I judge it or or have an opinion about it that is not to her liking. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing internet dating at one point, uh, which is funny to think about, that's how I met my girlfriend, um, I actually put in my dating profile that I w- I'm willing to admit that I might be a bastard about music. <laughs> so I got that disclaimer in from the get-go. So when I... Yeah, that's probably smart. So, yeah. You know, it's been an issue in the past. So I thought I'd get ahead of the curve. At least that way I got the disclaimer in, you know? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's always a clear financial motivation behind popular music, but uh, there's even more so of one now, and so that that doesn't really encourage a, a fertile atmosphere of of anything that's particularly groundbreaking. Yeah, do you tend to listen to like? Are you a vinyl guy? Do you did you get CDs or are you listening on your phone MP3s? I, um, no, I listen mostly in my car. I have a, a library of music that's on my phone, and it just I listen to it um, in my car. I, I love um, hillbilly music. I love country music, and I love it the history of it. And then I love uh, rhythm and blues, and and I really love the old blues guys. And that brings me to my next thing, because you wound up in the band X at one point. So I want to hear how you got from kind of like playing folk music around the house with your family to, you know, playing surf music, how you got, because those seem kind of like disparate styles in a way. They're um, not really, though. Well, but let's save that, though. Hold on. What's the next song going to be, live song? What song are you playing first? We'll come back. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Rattlesnake Boy. Tell me a little bit about this. Uh, that's more recent. It's a... Uh, uh, well, I don't know really how to explain it other than it was, I think it was, uh, came to me from, I think it was, uh, I was contemplating somebody uh, who had a fondness for reptiles and uh, I just kind of went with it. <laughs> and then, and then uh, somebody who definitely didn't have a fondness for reptiles, kind of had something to do with it, too. All right, the juxtaposition of the people that you know who do and do not like the rep- reptilia. Yeah. reptilia. 
All right, so Tony Gilgeson, the song is Rattlesnake Boy. Thanks for playing this. Wanna mess with him, you gotta go through me. If your heart is black, then let him be. One day he just showed up in town and I saw the birds circle round. But I'm telling you now that you got no choice. Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy, better not hurt the rattlesnake boy. There's a hawk and a boss and a low-down priest I'll tie their necks up to the tree Cause the tree was just a tiny seed in the world When a friend is a friend indeed You ain't on level then you better leave Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy Better not hurt the rattlesnake boy Cause I seen him hiding in the corn and vine Never makes a sound running through the pines And he knows how to slither and to slide and crawl Sleeps rolled up in a great big ball Tell the truth, he's a lot like me You better let him be Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy Better not hurt the rattlesnake boy Got snakes in the rafters, one in the barn He wraps little rattlers around his arm If you're worried about an unturned stone Give him a job, then leave him alone I'm Telling you now that it better be known Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy Better not hurt the rattlesnake boy Cause I seen him hiding in the corn and vine Never makes a sound running through the pines And he knows how to slither and to slide and crawl And he sleeps rolled up in a great big ball Tell the truth, he's a lot like me You better let him be Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy Better not hurt the rattlesnake boy Don't hurt the rattlesnake boy Better not hurt the rattlesnake boy Once again, that's Tony Gilkison on Independence Day. Be sure to drop indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y, to hear this and other songs. Uh, there's a bonus song on there, too, you can check out. And there's a video on our YouTube page as well. You can find that at 
youtube.com slash in-depth day videos. So, Tony, I want to find out, this is the, the something, this is like the question I've been kind of building up to this whole time. It's not much of a ringer, but winding up in the band X, which seems a lot of people would consider them to be kind of a punk band. Is, is that a, mm-hmm. an apt descriptor? Sure. Yeah. So how did you wind up going from, you know, country and blues and folk and surf music to getting into that kind of thing? Was it somebody you knew or did they call you? How, how did that happen? You know, I don't really remember, but it's, I mean, all those, everybody that was involved in X was also in, involved in the same forms of music that I was. I mean, we were all roughly the same age. They all had the same kind of uh, musical taste that I did for the most part. They were more immersed into the origins of punk music than I was, but um, they were not uh, unaware of of country or folk music. In fact, that's a huge part of, of their overall repertoire. Yeah. And tell me, what, what does that style of music, like how did that, did it change you as a musician? Punk rock? Yeah. Hell yeah, sure it did. It, <laughs> it uh, it it messed with my sense of time for one thing. It, okay, um, but yeah, I I was ripe for that because I had, I had felt in the eighties that the the role of of electric guitar or lead guitar had it was so overstated and so kind of precious and also kind of beating itself into a, a in, in, like a dead horse and and so. It, I, I liked the idea of restraint and minimalism. I liked it a whole lot. That's one of the things I liked about X and so, punk rock music. I'm so sorry. So you're kind of a guitar anti-hero in that regard. Because I guess what I'm hearing from you is that you know the, the guitar hero thing for you, at least personally, had grown tiresome by that point. Yeah, I, th- I think that's accurate. Yeah, I, it had gotten tiresome. It had gotten tiresome to a lot of people. So And there, I think that the potency of of musicians working together as a unit rather than kind of focusing on somebody's individual virtuosity uh, was was a learning experience that was really great you know a lot of the times you listen to a lot of the 70s or 80s bands and this is not a, a put down of van halen but a lot of the times they would be kind of sonically just one unit and then as soon as the guitar solo stopped starts it kind of something drops and and if you kind of stay in that kind of uh focus of four people working together or however many people working together there's so much more potential power from that yeah the dynamic i know what you're talking about when you essentially either you're doing a solo live with the band and then you go back and overdub the rhythm under it or you just mm-hmm. play the song without the solo and go back and overdub the solo. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the tech, this technology is fast fascinating to me when it comes to music and other things too, because of what, how using it and both using it and misusing it can be a creative tool. I uh, yeah, that's uh, sure, the, but I don't have any qualms about uh, uh, working up an illusion for a recording at all. I I think that I kind of like that. I like the idea of recording something and people are going how do they do that or what is that um it, I, I i kind of enjoy the idea that that there's some sort of dreamscape behind it that uh is sort of mysterious in a way i like that too yeah the concept i like to call it the happy accident 
sometimes. Yeah, it's a happy accident. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really what you want. You want because the best things usually do happen by accident. If you're, it's, in fact, that's I'd say that's always the case. Kind of striving it, for that. Yeah, which requires you know kind of being working tirelessly and monotonously. It 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 it's something that is you know exhausting. But then you you get these little moments where you break through and there's freedom behind it yeah how often does that that transcendent moment happen for you because i can count on in my life sadly it hasn't happened that terribly many times well i don't know how many times it's happened to me but i i think it's really what you that's what you want if you don't if you don't have it if you don't get the payoff then then there's something else you might have to consider yeah how did playing in X, like that style of kind of aggressive or raw or visceral, call it what you want, um, did that inform or change? You know, when you went, when you go to play stuff you're more familiar with, like the country and the blues, um, the the crossover stuff. Did that inform that in a, in a different way, or is it just a switch so. for you? I don't think so. But it, maybe. I know. I think the the basic information was there prior to X. I don't think X really kind of influenced my musical direction after I left it. And then, you know, so when X was over for you, because you uh, you weren't a founding member, correct? It was no, I wasn't. No. I was with them... Uh, about 10 years? 10 years, yes. And then, so at that point, you know, how, what was your career like after having played with them? It must have raised your profile, but then what did you do then? I play with a bunch of other people. So I know you've played with a lot of people over the years. Um, you've got a pretty storied resume. Is there any one particular thing that you're most proud of? Any any of those particular bands? Because I know you've played with Lone Justice. You've played with Bob Dylan. You've played with... Who, who, who would I be surprised? Oh, well, thank you for asking that. Uh, gosh, uh, I love doing working on Mark Olson's record that uh, came out a couple of years ago because that was like a... That took... That was recorded in two days. And I love working with Mike Stinson, who is uh, a really, really one of the best songwriters I've ever worked with. Uh, Randy Weeks uh, is also a phenomenal songwriter. I love playing guitar with him. Really, really excellent. And then uh, it's, uh, it's, I love doing studio work too. And with, uh, I did some film stuff with uh, different people and it's, <laughs> well, let's cycle through those just a little bit. Like, how long were you in Lone Justice? I, I admit that I'm not super familiar with Lone Justice. I know of their well, work. That's all right. That's kind of an ancient recollection. But uh, I was in Lone Justice for a year. I joined okay. just as they were finishing the first one. And then I left sometime late 1985, I believe. And what did that, what, like, like, give me an idea of, like, in that particular band, what did you learn in that band? Like, it seems like every, I learn something in everything I do, every, every endeavor, musical endeavor I, I, mm-hmm. I endeavor to do. What did you yeah, learn that, in Lone Justice? Uh, I learned about the uh, Hollywood machine, uh, the sort of what happens when you suddenly go from really kind of playing bar gigs to, uh, suddenly playing in front of you know Thousands. a lot of a lot of people yeah because you know for gosh for months we opened for all these name bands and that was interesting but the, they had a producer that I'd um, 
didn't trust and didn't particularly like, and so I, um, and I really had to work hard to get around expressing my feelings about that and and working with that band. And then, like, so <laughs> now you, there's a name in there too. I mentioned just before we kind of glossed over, which is Bob Dylan. Uh, how does one? Well, that was just a that was just a TV show that was with uh, T Bone Burnett. T Bone had. Uh, uh, T Bone, I think, had gotten the gig because Bob wanted to do this TV show, f- uh, and so T Bone put the band together. It was fun. It was like a, a day's worth of recording, and it was. Yeah. I, I think it's on YouTube. <laughs> and how is it working with T Bone? I've heard wonderful stories about his work environment. I love working with T Bone. Uh, I, I like his. Um, his take on electric guitar. What is his take on electric guitar? He's a minimalist, and he likes it when people do bizarre things, and he likes it when people make mistakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he likes uh, pushing boundaries a little bit, and uh, I enjoy his historical take on music very, very much. He's very knowledgeable, I know. And he T-Bone, is. T-Bone's a guy, I mean, if you're not in the music business, you may not know who T-Bone Burnett is, but he's a producer... Uh, extraordinaire um you know he did the music for the coen brothers movie um i was not down from the mountain was the second record but oh brother where art thou yeah he yeah. worked with uh allison krauss he's worked with uh, he Jay. has a real sense of musical history which is uh it's unfortunately rare with a lot of big time um music producers plus he has a a a um a certain sense of what he wants that's based on his experience of growing up in Texas, a, a sonic kind of uh-huh. program in his head that's that's very unique. It's very, it's hugely, it's really organic. You know, it, there's not a whole lot of embellishment, but it's uh-huh. it's unique. Now, before you said that, you know, you you had a big smile on your face. I think the biggest smile I've seen you have all evening here since we've been talking about this is you were talking about the ways in which. He kind of coaxes mistakes and does <laughs> yeah. bizarre kind of things. Well, that's, like, can that's you give me, kind of funny. Like, give me one example. Like, what, what does he like trick you into doing funny things or like pull your cord out when you're not looking? Or what no, 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 nothing like that. He's a gentleman. No, no, he just uh, he, uh, he he likes to uh, come up with something that probably he's never heard before, uh, and he doesn't like. He doesn't like noodling. He doesn't like incessant noodling. He he has a real distinct opinion about guitar, I think. I mean, it's been a while since I've worked with T-Bone. He's maybe changed his concept, but yeah. Um that that's what I enjoyed about it is that it was so unusual. Plus if you you know, if you if you start talking about various forms of different types of music that are that are not really widely known, he knows a whole lot about it so i like that if you, if you say well listen i want to get a an acoustic guitar sound like a like a lydia mendoza's troll string uh, yeah. you know he'll i'm he'll totally get that you know yeah i think you, you everything i've ever heard about him is 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 it, it once Confirms that what I know about him, but yet at the same time, kind of diffuses what I know about him because I, yeah, I've heard so he's kind of a mystery man in that way. I've heard. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I think he enjoys 
kind of cloaking himself in mystery. <laughs> yeah. The first time I knew of him was he had produced Sam Phillips' Martinis and Bikinis record. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I love that record. I love the sound of that record. It's like the record that taught me about compression. Like as That's a, right. Yes, beautiful compression. I, I went on, on that tour with them. Uh, I played with Sam for, gosh, I don't know, three or four months. Yeah. We were opening for uh, Counting Crows. Yeah. Such a fantastic voice. And this is a very oddball story, but I used to work in bars during the summer when I was in college. And like the, the, the Latino cleaning crews that would come in in the middle of the night, this is going to make sense, I swear, would come in, you know, like we'd get in like in the afternoon and they would just be finishing up having cleaned up from the night before. And there was one of these guys who didn't speak English and he had a Sam Phillips Martinis and Bikinis t-shirt on. Mm-hmm. which I didn't even know that kind of thing existed. And I was over the moon, like because I knew the album and I loved that sound. And uh, Mickey Curry, I think, plays on that. Does he play on that, I think? I don't know. The drummer? Anyway, well, I <laughs> I saw this and I was telling my friend, like, that's, that's, I can't believe this guy's this T-shirt. How did this guy wind up with this T-shirt? Probably has no idea what it is. My friend found the guy and swapped shirts with him and then gave me the Sam Phillips Martinis and Bikinis wow. T-shirt, which I still have to this very day. I just saw, I saw Sam... About two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, is she? St- I haven't heard much out of her recently. Is she yeah, still she's still playing. Recording? She's busy. She's yeah. still playing. Yeah, it's lovely to hear that. Um, but to to go back to T Bone, so that was kind of the first time I heard about him. But then you know, as me being me, I'm kind of a fan of producers in general and what they do. That kind of mystical art of producing albums and producing music. Yeah, and I followed his career from there in through uh, Counting Crows, making their debut record, and the Wallflowers, and then. The, the Coen Brothers movie and then you know other stuff that he's worked on and I don't know that I've ever heard anything I disliked that he's ever done. Yeah. I, I guess that's... I first got turned on to him by uh, uh, Delbert McClinton and uh, Glenn Clark's first record which was like in 1972. Yeah. Um, Genuine Cowhide I think is what it was called and um I love that album so much because it was a, a mixture of gospel and R&B and country music. And in those days, like in 1972, uh, nobody was doing that. And and Glenn Clark and Delroy McClinton uh, just had such... Uh, uh, they're both such wonderful vocalists and a great band. And T-Bone produced that record. And it sounds like it was recorded in a day, yeah. which it probably was. It was not a high-budget record. And then later on, uh, he was in the Alpha Band, and when they, I was living in New Mexico in like 1977 or 78, and the Alpha Band had a very unusual gig in Tusuki, New Mexico, right outside of Santa Fe, and and I went out there to see them because all the people that were in the Alpha Band were the original guys that played on Delbert and Glenn's first record, and T Bone was one of the guitar players. They're phenomenally great band, really, really wonderful. And so I, I went up and just introduced myself to T Bone. That was like yeah. in yeah, nineteen seventy seven or seventy eight. And then and that was that. And then years later when I moved to LA I I got to meet him again. Such an amazing talent. Like I said, I don't think I've yeah, ever. He's heard a good of, songwriter too. Yeah, and I've seen him play live shows uh, at the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. He kind of oh, yeah, hang, yeah. hangs around up there. I tend to go to that every year. Such a great, the best 
curated music festival I've ever heard. Yeah, that's very smartly put together. Yeah, great music, great situation, and free, which <laughs> aside from the fact that it's just a monetary savings, just it changes the dynamic. Yeah. Because you're not paying, everyone's kind of nice. And you can just bring in food and drink, and everyone just has a wonderful... And the weather's always great that time of the year in San Francisco. It's a lovely, lovely thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. So now, tell me now, even though you did just one Dylan thing, like that's, again, such a figure that looms. The guy casts a super long shadow. The guy just got a Nobel Prize recently. So, I mean, how one story. You've got to give me one story of showing up in a room with Dylan. Uh, well, he's really private so I, I i hate to disappoint you there was nothing really yeah. that i mean we all sat in a room and had makeup put on and then we went out and played music uh, i think everybody was really very uncomfortable and still we started until we started playing music and then yeah. it was it was fun it was really great all the musicians were really good so why don't we get to another song here i think we're gonna play what is this song here tony this is a percy mayfield song called the voice within all right, so Tony Gilkison gracing us with one more song. This is The Voice Within on Independence Day. One, two, three. While talking to myself one day, I heard a voice. Within me say, why don't you wake up? Don't you know the one you love? She's not for you. For you belong to a different kind of girl. A different kind of So I said to me within, what can I do? How can I win? The voice said, easy. Turn your face towards the sky and don't cry. And you'll find your love. said it's easy turn your face towards the sky and don't cry you'll find your love by and by That 
was Tony Gilkison. The song is The Voice Within. So happy to have you listening to Independence Day. So happy to bring you Tony Gilkison, man. Thank you again for taking the time to come out to do this with us. And I know you're you're kind of working on a new album, but you're kind of creeping along at it. And this is this is an <laughs> instrumental thing. Tell me a little bit about this. Why do that? Uh, well, I uh, I did it because uh, for the moment, at least, uh, my musical radar seems to be instrumental more than lyrical. So I thought I better utilize it so that doesn't go away. And when, uh, maybe sometime next year, we'll hear this? Yeah, I hope in the spring. Which is not that far off. Man, time flies, it seems like to me. And the older I get, the faster my life seems to go. So mm -hmm. it seems like basically we'll be waking up tomorrow and the album will be ready, right? Well, that was a good thing to hope for. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, man. So, Tony, thank you so much. People can check you out at TonyGilkison.com. You're also on Facebook. Uh, not tweeting, as I understand it. You can find you on Bandcamp. I know uh, I've got two records that are, are they still in print? Are they available? Yeah. Uh, uh, Sparko and Goodbye Guitar? Uh-huh. And they can pick them up at the website. Yes. All right. So, Tony, thank you for taking the time, and I appreciate it so very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So thank you to Tony Gilkison, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The upstanding Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure to check them out. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. As I say every single weekend, it's becoming increasingly important in our modern realm in America. If you do anything today, please be good to one another.